chapter 4. Um, I'm also referred to that particular passage at the time that Jesus was tempted three times by the devil. And I always assume that Jesus was tempted three times by the devil after he had not eaten for 40 days. Uh, but when you read this version of the story, it's actually written in, in a different Gospels, it said Luke uh, says that Satan tempted him for 40 days. And when I first wrote this, I started thinking, you know, what would it be like to be tempted by Satan 40 days in a row? Can you imagine it? Every single day, Satan coming up to you and tempting you. Trying to get you to sin. That would be a horrible existence. And then it occurred to me that if Satan hasn't been tempting me for 40 days in a row, he must have skipped a few days because he didn't think it was necessary to tempt me. Satan wants us. He wants us to follow him and he wants us to do his will. And we need to consider that if Satan isn't tempting us, we're not being tempted every single day. Maybe it's because Satan already has us. And this thought made no sense to me, but when you turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If Satan is walking about like a roaring lion, why don't I hear him every day? So I thought about it. How does Satan tempt me? What is he doing to try to deceive me? And, you know, we come up with ways in which we're being tempted. It's pretty simple. We throw out the, you know, the television, the internet, maybe drugs, politics. The things that we just toss off the top of our heads. Those are the ways that Satan's trying to tempt us. But if Satan is that obvious, if he's just screaming, this is sin, this is sin, I don't think he'd be a very good adversary. I don't think he'd do a very good job. If all he could do was scream at me, do this and suffer eternally, then he wouldn't get me to sin. There wouldn't really be anything to worry about. And I think that we all, individually, academically, we know that we're in a battle. We know that Satan's out to get us. But do we think about what is Satan using to get us? First of all, I think uh, I think it's important for us to remember, and this is something I sort of forgot in my life, is Satan will try to tempt us when we're strong. Um, and at first I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, if you're really strong and you're powerful and you're thinking about God, that's not going to be the time that you're going to be uh, attacked by Satan. But when was Jesus attacked by Satan? This is right after he got baptized, right after he went into the, the, the wilderness. That's when Satan came for him. And we need to not think that Satan is not going to attack us when we're strong. Because I started thinking about it, and I realized something that really helped me. Satan doesn't want to destroy me. He doesn't want to destroy me. Satan doesn't want to get me down and choke me until I scream, you know, I don't believe in God, and God is horrible, and just curse God and die. That is not the objective of Satan. He's not looking for a Job situation. As a matter of fact, I believe that Satan actually wants to build me up until I get to the point where I think that I don't need God anymore. That's one of his tools. 
And you remember Peter, if you turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 16, this is a great example. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? I say that I, the son of man, am. So they said, well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that this, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It was Peter who had just said, You are the Christ. It was Peter who had just said, You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Peter, you're blessed. And after reading verse 18 and 19, how could Peter not feel on top of the world? And sometimes we feel on top of the world. But when you jump down a few verses later, in verses 21 and 22, it says, From that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Peter had been rising that high. He had been thinking, oh, I am doing what God wants me to do because I recognize this. He must have been thinking that he was special. But if you read verse 23, what does Jesus say to him? He says, get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of things of God, but the things of men. I think one of the most effective ways that Satan has in winning us over is by letting us build ourselves up to the point where we believe that we are too strong to be tempted. He builds us up to the point where we don't find ourselves struggling on a daily basis because we have it all under control. If we're not struggling, if we don't see ourselves being attacked by Satan to do wrong, if our lives are conflict-free and temptation-free, it might be because we've already given up. Because Satan doesn't. And Satan will not stop until we know that he is ours and that we are his. Satan is seeking whom he may devour every single day. So the question we have to ask ourselves, I have to ask myself constantly, is how are we trying to do that? And I have a habit of going to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world, Anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For of all that is in the world, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And I tell myself, that's how Satan tempts me. When someone asks me, that's the verse I go to. How are you tempted? Oh, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. And obviously those verses are true. But I think when we only go there, and we only have an academic answer, I think we're missing the battle. These verses tell us that we need to be careful. But I want us to focus on the next few minutes. It's not what we need to be careful of, 
but how to stop from getting to the point where we need to be careful. See, let me explain. Which is better? For me to stand up here and say, someone's going to rob your house. Or for me to stand up here and say, someone's going to rob your house and here's how they're going to do it. Because you can defend if you know how they're going to do it. Just knowing they're going to do it, sometimes we just get academic. Satan's going to attack you. Okay, yeah. But here's how he's going to do it. Here's how we need to avoid it. You see, we all worry about being tempted and have our kids tempted to do what's wrong. But too often, I think we don't realize that we're in the fight. It's almost the third quarter, and we're losing. Satan doesn't say, all right, in about half an hour, I'm going to come and I'm going to tempt you. And you set your watch, and like 29 minutes later, Satan goes, oh, yeah, I'm really going to be there. Um, we don't get updates on temptation. We don't get updates about Satan tempting us. Satan tempts us before we're even aware that we're being tempted. Because that's how he gets us. And the question we have to ask ourselves constantly is, how does Satan fight me today? What weapons is he using? Because we have to assume that he's doing something. I don't think he's fighting with R. Kelly today. I don't think Satan is at the Kardashian's house knocking on the door saying, I want you to do wrong. Satan has the world. Do we realize who Satan is going to fight for most in the city of Pittsburgh? It's people in this room. People who say, I am doing God's will. People who are trying and struggling to do what God wants them to do. That's who Satan's going to attack. That's who Satan wants. This is the group that he wants. And here's the really scary part. Satan wants us, but he doesn't want us to know when he wants to attack us, and he wants to get us, and when he got us, he just wants to keep on the down road. Because it's okay for him. If he's got you and you're not aware, he's good. How many of us, actually how many people in the world, if they knew, if they knew that they were going to burn for all eternity, would not fight with all the strength they had in their life, in their being? But too often, the world doesn't fight, and we don't fight, because we think we're okay. And I personally think that that's one of Satan's greatest weapons. The I'm okay weapon. Isaiah 29, 13, although this was written thousands of years ago, I think it's still applicable for billions of people today. And I'll read the entire verse, because sometimes we just read part of it. It says, insomuch as these people draw near with their mouths, and honor me with their lips, but I have but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of man. How many do you see? How many people do you see like that? They're walking around fat and happy. They don't have a care in the world. And we look at their lives. We we can see that Satan has pretty much made his home with them. They're lost and they don't even know it. But I think we need to be careful that we don't become just like them. Because we need to ask ourselves, how many times has Satan attacked me today? How many times has he attacked me this week, this year? Do you remember the last time you thought to yourself, this is Satan trying to get me to do something that's wrong? And I don't know how Satan attacks us all individually, but I do know that we have to be prepared for him to do it. And I don't mean in some analytical, thought-provoking way. I mean, we have to wake up every day thinking Satan is out to get me. 
And yeah, you know, even to me, that sounds a little bit paranoid, right? It sounds a little bit crazy. But if First Peter 5, 8 is correct, if Satan's out trying to seek whom he may destroy, then he's either trying to devour us, or he's already done it. And if he has devoured us, I guarantee you, the one thing he's going to make sure we think is that we are okay. Satan wants us to be like a frog being slowly boiled to death. If he, if Satan hits you all at once and he's screaming, I'm Satan, I'm about to attack you, well, then we, we, we defend ourselves. We jump to safety. But if he makes you think that you're okay, then he's happy to let, let you sit there in blissful ignorance. We need to constantly be on guard and know that we're okay and not just assume it because we have our names on the spreadsheet. Just because there's an asterisk beside your name in a spreadsheet that says that you are a member of the congregation, we cannot make the assumption that, that means you're okay. But of course, that's not the only weapon that Satan has. Uh, he also has this don't worry about it weapon. And that's that's the one he uses when you get a little bit antsy. Um, you're not going to die. Remember Adam and Eve? When he told Adam Eve to do this and Eve questions like, surely, you're not going to die. You know, don't worry about it. You won't get caught. You can ask for forgiveness later. How many times have we done things that we knew were wrong, but forgot about it because nobody ever found out about it? It's so easy to listen to Satan when he says, don't worry about it. And it's something we need to constantly be on guard against. Think back to the time that you last sinned. And then you moved on. You never thought about it again. You never gave it a second thought because maybe it was something you did so often that it just didn't phase you anymore. Or maybe it was something you did once and you were really, really embarrassed about it. And then time moved on. Nothing happened to you. Life kept right on going. You kept right on living. I am a living testament. Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. And you don't have to go there. It's a simple verse. God says, you may be sure your sin will find you out. I remember <laughs> I used to look at that verse and laugh. Nope. Because I actually thought that I was so good. I would never get caught doing anything wrong. Our sins will find yourself, no matter how deep you hide it. And when Satan tells us not to worry about it, it's because we're already on his team. No sin is something that can be brushed off and just forgotten about. If you look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13 through 15, Hebrews 4, 13-15 says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to his eyes, the eyes of him to whom we must give account. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him of whom we must give account. God is all seeing. But the good thing is, when you get down to verse 14, it says, Seeing then we have a high, great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but with all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Satan wants us to be content, and even when we do mess up, he just wants us to say it's okay. Just let it go. And when he, when he finds us thinking about it a little bit more, which is interesting, when you start to think about it, well, maybe I shouldn't be doing this, then Satan picks up another tool in his toolbox. And that one is, you know what? Not that bad. A lie can make somebody feel really good. Just a true statement. You know, I didn't finish this report, that, but I'm going to tell my boss I finished it because I'm going to finish it before he notices it. Or maybe it's gossip, but it's true. So what's wrong with that? Or add whatever. For every sin that exists, every sin we could commit, Satan has an argument for why it's not such a bad thing. If you can name it, he can justify it. There are no new sins. But man, Satan has taken these old sins and he's wrapped them up in these new wrappings and he said, not that bad. And there are two stories in the Bible that really scare me. Uh, there's one in Leviticus chapter 10 talking about Nadab and Abihu and how they offered this strange fire and they were destroyed. And there's a second one in Acts chapter 5 where Ananias and Sapphira uh, didn't tell the whole truth about how much they had actually sold the land for. And the reason these verses scare me is that if I didn't know the verses that happened immediately after those verses, I wouldn't think it was like that. I mean, think about it. You've got Ananias and Sapphira. You know, they're just, you know, who cares how much money they give to the congregation? And you got Nahab, 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 and Abihu, and they were just trying to serve God. I mean, both of those situations, you got people who are trying to serve God. And, you know, sometimes if it weren't for the verses after, in which God destroyed Nahab, Nahab and Abihu, and the verses after, in which God destroyed um, Ananias and Sapphira, I would think that maybe they didn't do that bad. They were still trying to worship God. And that scares me. Both stories had people worshiping God. But that is just what Satan uses. That is what he tells us. It's not that bad. That's the tool that he uses against us. And we need to be on guard daily that we're not falling for that lie. Because as Christians, how do we define bad? Do we believe that sin separates us from God? Or do we believe that sin can sometimes hurt people, but it's not always such a bad thing? Because Satan wants you to believe the second thing. It's not that bad. Lighten up. Loosen up. Doesn't hurt anybody. And we start to believe that. I don't, when we start to believe that, I don't even know if we've, I think we've already lost the battle. Not that we're losing the battle. When we start to commit sins and things to ourselves, it doesn't hurt anybody. We've already lost the battle. But unfortunately, those aren't the only tools that he has. Uh, he'll tell us that we're okay. Uh, he'll tell us that we can just forget about it. And if you start to analyze and think about it, he'll tell you, well, it's not really that bad. And if we haven't given it at that point and committed sin, then you know what he'll say next is, you can handle it. You can handle it on your own. It's okay if you make that little sin. It's not going to really hurt you. It's personal. It's private. You can take care of it. 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 tells us we need to bear one another's burdens. But Satan tells us you can do it on your own. You don't need anybody's help. That's one of the things that I hate about being an American is because we are supposed to be self-sufficient. Take care of yourself. Mind your business. Satan wants us to believe that. Satan tells you, you know, that's kind of embarrassing. Um, you did that. You might want to keep that a secret. He told me that. I don't know if he ever told you that. Uh, all right, and here's another he told me. If you want to keep your Christian friend, you better not tell them that because they're not going to understand. Satan wants you to fight your battle on your own. Because when you fight your battle on your own, you're going to lose. God wants us to work together. God tells us we need to cast our burdens upon him in Psalm chapter 55. He tells us to come to him as we labor and are heavy laden in Matthew chapter 30. Matthew chapter 11. And in 1 Peter 5, 7, he tells us to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. But Satan says, don't worry. You can take care of yourself. And too often, we think, yeah, I can. Because if it gets really, really bad, maybe I'll talk to somebody about it or read a book or something. I can take care of myself. What are we here for? Look around. What are we here for? If we can't go to each other when we're weak, where will we go? If I can't go to the people in this room when I'm struggling, where am I going to go? Because, ironically, Satan's got everything. He's got books. He's got television. He's got popular people. He's got everything. And he'll whisper in your ear, I've got some people that will help you take care of that struggle. Even talk to those Christians about that, and they'll agree with you, and they won't condemn you, and they'll make you feel good, and they'll say things like, I'm not going to condemn you because you go to those Christians, they're going to condemn you, and they're probably doing it themselves. And we listen to that, and before you know it, instead of working together, instead of growing together, we're out on our own trying to fight our own battles. And we're not going to win. And here's my fear. And you can stop listening because this is my personal soapbox and people might disagree with me. But here's my fear. Are we setting a bad example for the youth? Because they don't ever see mom or dad struggle. They don't ever see mom or dad go forward. They don't ever see mom and dad say, I've sinned. I'm working on that not doing that and maybe it's something that everyone needs to consider in their lives in james chapter 5 verse 16 james 5 16 says confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much the youth read that and they look at us adults and they say, well, we pray for each other generically, but I don't see anyone saying that they've sinned. So maybe they're all strong. And what is that teaching them? In my opinion, our actions have said to them, you can do it on your own. That's my soapbox. You might disagree. Sometimes I fear that Satan not only convinced me that I could do it on my own, 
but I think he used me to teach my kids the same thing. And I'm not saying we need to come in here and start enumerating our sins. I'm not saying we need to come up here and everybody gets up and starts saying, here's all the things I did wrong. But we do need to, well, we need to live James 5. To live it. And not just to pray for another part. We need to live that. So, even when you realize that you're being tempted by Satan and he sees you fighting him, <laughs> he doesn't give up. Uh, you ever heard yourself say this? I've said this thousands of times, which is ironic. This is the last time I'll ever do this sin. After this, I'll never do it again. And every time we say this is the last time, Satan smiles. Because what we should be saying is this is the last time was the last time. But even when we even when we sin and we repent and we say this is the last time I'll never do it again. Even if that really is the last time, here's what hinders me. Satan doesn't give up. He doesn't just stop. He didn't say, Eric, wow, you struggled, you overcame that sin. <laughs> I'm done. I'm moving on. He does not. Wouldn't that be awesome? He just goes somewhere else. Looks for another weakness. Remember our original passage we talked about? What did Satan do to Jesus? In verse 13, it says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Satan was not stop. He will not stop. And we have to believe that that is exactly what he has in store for us, and that is exactly what he's going to do for us. Because if he thought he could come back and tempt the Son of God, what makes us think he's going to leave us alone? Satan doesn't give up. But it's okay. Because we have someone on our team, if we choose to use him, who is so much stronger than Satan. What happened to Jesus after he refused to give in to Satan? If you turn back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. Matthew 4, 11. He says, When the devil left him, and behold, angels came and administered to him. And right after Peter warns us that the devil is actually seeking to devour us in 1 Peter chapter 5, what does he say in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 9 through 11? He said, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a, a while, perfect Establish, strengthen, and settle you. First Peter chapter five, verse nine through eleven, is the solution. And Peter tells us that all of us, all of us, are being attacked by Satan. Everyone in this room, because he says that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But after this, after we suffer for a little while. 
He says, God will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. I want us to remember one thing. When we are focused on God, and all those quiet things that Satan is saying, and he's whispering in our ear, those things are being screened. They are so obvious. When we are focused on God, no matter how he tries to tell us it's okay, it's not that bad, don't worry about it, those things are screamed at us because we know that that is not what God wants for us. And when we recognize, when we recognize that Satan truly is walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he devour, he may devour, we can turn to God. And we can turn to each other. And when we do that, Peter tells us, right after he talked about Satan walking around, he says he was going to perfect, establish, strengthen, and tell you. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Second Corinthians chapter 12, <coughs> verse 7 through 10. This is Paul. Paul says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that I might depart from me. And he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities and the power that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I don't know exactly what the thorn of the flesh was that Paul went through. I know he prayed to God to get rid of it. And God said, my grace is sufficient. And Paul realized that when he was weak, that is when he was strong. When we are being tempted by Satan, that is when we gain our strength. That is how faith grows. Faith grows when we're tempted. Faith grows when we're struggling. So when we're being tempted by Satan, it's not something we should be proud of, but it's something we need to grow by. It's something we need to overcome, something we need to fight against, because we realize that when we are weak, that's when God's strong. So when we're tempted by Satan and we listen to Satan, when we fight the battle on our own, and when we think we can overcome by ourselves, that's when we're really weak. If we turn to God and turn to each other, and each of us can be strong, regardless of what Satan throws towards us.